You're listening to the City World Radio Network, high-definition digital radio broadcasting from the city to the world, www.cityworldradio.com. Good evening, and welcome to Morph Mom Moments. What an exciting, exciting night we have. We have the most quintessential morph mom that's going to speak tonight one of my idols her work is clearly something that i've revered and respected for the past 25 years and i have to admit it really is a true honor to have jane sarkin here tonight um and before i introduce jane officially and we get into the story for those of you just joining us i want to give you some sort of a clarity as to what you've just jumped yourselves into welcome to morph mom moments my name is kathleen smith i started morph mom about six years ago, uh, having been a former prosecutor, stayed home with my kids, had no idea what to do, no confidence, no connections, no no past, no destination, very depressed and frustrated. I didn't know how to start. So I decided rather than trying to battle something I couldn't win, I was going to go out and interview women who had taken on this battle and taken on these obstacles. And rather than reinvent the wheel, I was going to tell their stories. So I started to travel the country and I would share stories of women who sort of overcame this obstacle and figured out what to do, how to do it, steps to take, and most importantly, usually steps not to take. Because I think that's the thing we don't often share, the struggles and the obstacles and things that were difficult to overcome. Um, So that was my journey. And for the past six years, I've been traveling the country and sharing and interviewing women and sharing their stories. We now host conferences. Um, The next will be in Ridgewood this October, New Jersey. We'll be in New York and Boston as well this year. We have classes. We have this fun radio show. We have something coming called The Club, which if you go to the the website, morphom.com, M-O-R-P-H-M-O-M.com, you'll learn more about it. But trust me, it's really exciting. Um, and basically, any way we can connect women to share their stories, share their journeys, and inspire them and motivate them and just make them feel like they can do it, we're going to do it. So join us on the website to find out all the events and the fun things going on. But more importantly, and without further ado, and without any more of myself <laughs> talking, let's get down to why we're really here tonight. I'm thrilled and honored, as I mentioned, to introduce my guest tonight, the former feature editor of Vanity Fair, Jane Sarkin, now current speaker and mentor for professional women out there. And I'm just going to throw out there my idol. Jane, it's an absolute honor to have you tonight. Oh, it's an honor to be here with you, and I think it's incredible what you're doing. Um, Most of my career has been um, surrounded by incredible women, um, a lot of men too, and um, I feel like 40 years in the magazine business has led me to this journey today to speak to you. Well, it's an incredible honor. I have to say, I like what you're doing. It's really important, and and I think that you're out there. Women need need you. I really appreciate that, but I can only be there because women like you are willing to come out and share their stories and their journeys and their struggles and their accomplishments to share everything so that other people out there feel a part of this community that's going that we're all going through the same thing. And it's much easier to do it when you know that there are other people who have done it and are currently doing it as well. Um, so before we go into that portion of it, tell me a little bit about your journey and how you're, and I want to say this again, and we spoke about this earlier, 
As I mentioned, Jane is the former feature editor of Vanity Fair. Jane has done all the covers of Vanity Fair for the past 25, 34 years. Um, and I know all of you, not many, but all of you out there share the, what we all felt when that print was in our hands, when that piece of artwork would show up on the stand. And it wasn't just a magazine. It was an absolute piece of artwork that would last forever that just meant so much and Many times, it was so fun to see celebrities, yes, but there was so much more to what you did. You made cultural changes. You you bridged the gap with many things. You introduced things that would never, innovative ideas that had never been brought out there before. And this was all through this beautifully constructed cover of a magazine that meant so much to all of us out there. And I just want to thank you for myself and everyone out there for all these years. Who really, it meant a lot to us. It really, really did. So let's talk about the journey that led you to that and sort of how that came to be. Um, well, I grew up um, in a very traditional middle-class family in Hillside, New Jersey. Um, my father was a doctor. Um, I grew up in a family full of doctors. I had two older brothers. Everyone, the, the track was in the Henry School, college, medical school. Mm -hmm. So we all followed that track. And except me, who went to college and was pre-med at University of Vermont and realized this is really not what I want to do. My brothers were, um, my older brothers, I idolized. They were math and science whizzes. And I'm like, oh, I'm just not that. <laughs> so I quickly changed, and I became an English major at University of Vermont. I took some courses at Berkeley. I graduated from UVM. I was an English major. I went to New York. I took a graduate course at NYU. School. They had a school of publishing. Um, I later went on and taught there. It's an amazing place to go if you're interested in magazines or books. And I realized that I was really interested in the celebrity world and in the publishing world. So the pre-med went out the window, and I decided that I would take on this world of celebrity, which, but how do you get into it? Right. friend of mine, it's just this way it goes, and a friend of mine said that Andy Warhol, the artist, was hiring what they called at the time editorial assistants at his magazine called Interview Magazine. And I said, oh, sure, great. So I went there, and I immediately became involved in um, working for an editor there named Robert Hayes, who he and I set up photo shoots and celebrity interviews. And, and, and I realized that my strength was in producing these big shoots with these big stars. And um, I worked for him for a couple of years, and then all of a sudden, I got a call from Tina Brown, Vanity Fair magazine, and she recruited me to come to Vanity Fair to be the features editor. And I was like, okay, I'll go. Um, so I was 25 years old, and I started my career at Vanity Fair. It was 1985, and Tina Brown was the editor, and I worked directly for Tina. And um, I went from this room, uh, this this sort of loft at Interview Magazine where everyone was working in the same room and everybody knew what everyone was doing to the corporate world of Carney Nast where I was given an office and a phone and my own <laughs> stationery and an assistant. I'm like, what am I doing here? So my big theme in life has always been adapting. I had no choice working. I had no choice but to adapt to this new world. And I thought, oh, I've got to make it work. And I kept saying to myself, you make it happen. You make it happen. You make it happen. So every day I'd march myself into Tina Brown's office, whether I wanted to or not, and say, I think we should do a story on this person. I think we should do a story on this person. And she was like, oh, okay, okay. And she, she literally 
would say to me, I want ideas. I need fast girls and fast cars. I need blondes in beautiful bikinis. And I need this and I need that. And I was like, okay. And I would figure out how to do it. No one had done it. I just went out there and I made contacts with the movie companies and the television companies and the agents and the managers. And I just got Vanity Fair on the map in Hollywood. No one had done it. And we started to build the brand of Vanity Fair. And the cover of Vanity Fair became an important cover to be on. It hadn't been. And eight years later, she leaves. And Graydon Carter comes in. And another, I had to adapt to another person, another style. And he just said, just keep doing what you're doing. He was an extremely genius editor. He just wanted the people that knew what they were doing. He recognized talent. He wanted everyone to just keep doing what they were doing. And slowly but surely, Graydon took over, and he created a whole new world of, of a magazine. And he brought it to a level that no one's ever done before. Um, and I was along for I was along for the ride. However, it was very hard work, and we just kept creating and building the brand of Vanity Fair. And um, this job has led me to every celebrity corner in the world, every home, every White House, every president in the last thirty years. Um, and it began my collaboration with Annie Leibovitz, which I worked with Annie for thirty-four years, and. We created so many incredibly iconic and important covers. Um, I would have to get the person on the cover. She would have to photograph the person on the cover. I would have to get the writer to interview the person. So I was the producer on all of these covers, making them, you know, from start to finish. And I realized that my strength was in getting the big get, getting the great story. Vanity Fair was becoming this must-do magazine. Um, and that's sort of how we built this whole brand for the past three decades. Um, and it has, we have done the iconic cover from Demi Moore Pregnant to Serena Williams Pregnant over the course of 30 years to, you know, the big reveal of Surrey Cruz, who had never been seen, you know, up until that point where I went to Telluride and spent a week with the Cruz, Tom Cruise and family. And Sari Cruz appeared on the cover. This was pre-internet, pre-social media. You know, this was when magazines were selling a million copies. Um, this is when newsstand was the biggest thing in the world. Now it's a lot different. Had to adapt to that as well. Had to adapt to the um, internet and to our website and how to get celebrities to want to do video. They, they would never have done video before the, before the internet. Now they knew that was part of the deal. Um, then, luckily, uh, I had been on the trail of Bruce Jenner for a while. And finally, finally, I secured the Caitlyn Jenner car. That was a culturally important, um, I don't know, sort of just changed everything, I think. Um, and that was one of our biggest covers ever, was the first cover that we, Braden Carter decided to release online, not on the newsstand. That was a huge, another huge moment to adapt to. Releasing a cover online, which had never been done before. Um, now it's done all the time. Um, that was a big moment for us. So basically, I did that for a long time. And three decades later, I'm now learning to adapt to a new position. 
in my entire in my life, and that is having raised a family, raised two amazing daughters. They're both out of college, and I am no longer with Vanity Fair. So it's a big change again. Another adapt. I have to adapt again to another phase of my life. And that's where we are today. So this is I, literally the most amazing journey I've ever heard, and, I, and and because we, I feel like we've lived your journey. So with every, really, with every Vanity Fair magazine that came out, we lived your journey. We saw the story, and it's not just a photograph. It's not just. It, it's a production. It's a story. So when you would do these, you just explained, you worked with Anna Leibitz and you worked with the production and you worked with the story behind it. So I want to go back a little bit about this. So when you would, you're very, it's a creative process. It's not just a picture. It's not just getting a celebrity on the front page of the magazine. There's a story behind it. There's a reason behind it. And there's a creative behind it. So how did you go about picking, like deciding, like, okay, this is going to be, we're going to feature this, this person, but not just because of this. We're going to feature you, and this is the story behind it. How would you sort of, and I'm sure you had thousands of choices to make each time a cover was coming out. How, what was your process in doing this? Well, I always say that um, creating a Vanity Fair cover is like producing a movie because it's not just the contact with the celebrity or the photo shoot or the interview it's the whole package and it was what the beauty of my job was that I had such a fantastic team I'm very big on having a great team and I credit the team with everything because without the great team you have nothing um we had had we, we collaborated so well together we all knew what each person had to do um and Creating a great cover shoot is like, I mean, it's moving mountain because you're, you're, you're working with a very, very famous person who has very complex needs. You're working with a very famous photographer who also has complex needs. And the merge of those two was always like an explosion of creative energy that you, you cannot ever imagine. You can't, you can't match it in anything. It's like a movie with a great director and a great star. You see a great performance, you know that that did not just happen overnight. You know, that took a long time to get to. And that's how we did our cover stories. And we demanded a lot. And that's why they were so amazing. Because I think that um, when part of my job was demanding perfection on each level. So when somebody knew that they were doing a cover of Vanity Fair, it wasn't just a fashion shoot. They knew they had to bring it and they had to deliver, and they had spent a lot of time. So, you know, I think they knew, okay, I've got the cover of Vanity Fair, but it has to be special, so I have to give up a lot. I have to give up something of myself that I wouldn't normally do, and that's what we achieved at Vanity Fair. I think that's why people wanted to do it. That's why it took a long time to get certain people to do it, because it had to be the right moment, it had to be the right timing, and it had to be the right team, so you had to get the right person, the right uh, person to do the interview, the right photographer, the right beauty team, the right fashion. I mean, these were huge productions. Um, I did 25 years of the Hollywood cover, which are those fold-out, you know, mega celebrity covers. That was literally like producing a, you know, (laughs) eight-hour movie because it took 
a year to get everyone together. Everyone, you're, you're working with the most famous people in the world. You're working with their schedules. They all have families. They all have issues. They all have, <laughs> you know, their kid has to go to, you know, the prom, whatever, and they can't do it that day. And then you you all of a sudden realize what you've pulled off. You've pulled off an amazing feat of the most famous people together in one room. And, and then you're taking their picture. And, you know, we've created a little cottage industry of the Hollywood industry, which by the way, also was done, came out during the most important night of the year in Hollywood, which is the Academy Awards, which we had our little Academy Award party, which little, became a tiny little you know, party. The, most, the yeah. biggest party globally, I mean, the biggest global party in the world that, you know, everyone wanted to go to. I started that party with a group of people. We literally were in one room at the Beverly Wilshire Hotel, like writing out names of people we were begging to come to our party. And it grew and grew and grew and grew. And Graydon created that, and he said, just let it happen organically. It will happen. And he was right, and it became the biggest night of the year. But I think one of the most, I think what's so important about everything, everything is important that you've done, but one of the things that you did and accomplished with these covers where you sort of crossed the line, like you, you weren't afraid to take it to that next step. You, you I don't, I mean, maybe I'm assuming this, but I don't think there were boundaries that you were held within, like political. There weren't things that kept you from taking a step that others may not approve of or may not accept. And and how difficult was that sometimes? Well, you're right. We did some very surprising things. And sometimes we probably pushed the envelope, but somebody had to do it. So why not have Vanity Fair do it? Right. The big thing for me was, you know, I had to come up with a cover every single month over 34 years. It's 12 covers a year. They don't always work out. I'm the first one to admit we weren't always perfect. We had some major, 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 huge accomplishments, which we would say, that was a good day. <laughs> and then we had the months, you know, and you can't. You can't have them all be fantastic. There's not enough people in the world. But, for instance, I remember when we did the Demi Moore cover, when she pregnant Demi Moore cover. That child is now 30, <laughs> 32 years old. Um, the newsstands wouldn't put it out. It was so outrageous to them. They covered it with brown paper in the supermarkets, which was a huge place to sell magazines. They covered it. They wouldn't sell it. They thought it was outrageous. But we changed We changed the culture of pregnant women showing their bellies forever. Mm-hmm. We cre- if you go back in time, you'll see all the copycats that happened after Demi Moore. You'll see the fashion changed. All of a sudden, women were wearing bikinis on the beach with their huge bellies sticking out. Everything changed after Demi Moore did that. And that was an incredibly important moment. Um, I feel like 30 years later, we did it with Serena Williams. It wasn't as big a deal. It just what didn't resonate. You know, it just was like, oh, another pregnant woman on the cover. <laughs> uh, however, it was amazing. But, um, you know, I have to say Annie Leibovitz had a lot to do with that because she saw that this is an incredibly um, important cover to do. Um, but... That was a question. <laughs> Just how, like, knowing that you may face controversy, you may face people who would, like you said, cover the magazine in certain stores. Was there ever a time maybe that 
dissuaded you from going forward with something or did it almost encourage you to say, you know what, no, this, this needs to be out there and whether or not you're going to cover it with a brown paper bag, it's not going to stop us from doing this. No. Um, um, the two editors that I worked for were extremely interested in um, really trying to do the best cover out there, the best thing possible, the best story possible. They weren't always popular, but they were always... The best thing you could do is create a controversy. Bring the topic out there. You know, get it out. Make it make history with your cover. What else are you there for? You know, um, we, we, had the, we had the advantage of not being a fashion magazine. We could do whatever we wanted. We did, um, you know, prep. I went to the White House with Annie. We did Bill Clinton. You know, we went to the White House. We did George Bush. I mean, we, I went with Annie inauguration, at the inauguration. We did a President Obama. I mean, we were able to pivot between politics, um, Hollywood, sports. Listen, we did Tiger Woods at a very interesting time in his life when he got in all that trouble. That was not popular. But we did it because... It was the story of the moment. If you could get the story of the moment, the zeitgeist of the moment, on the cover of your magazine, you have to do it, whether or not it's popular or not. I don't think it's being done anymore. I think people are much more careful now. You do. Um, so, yeah, I mean, we... And crossing lines. Like, maybe some will only go one direction or the other, but I think that was what was so important. I think that's what you did with Vanity Fair, too, is you took it across all lines. You represented all ideas out there. And I think people are scared to do that now for the repercussions, and which is sad. It's sad that we can't take that step and challenge that idea. And so I think younger kids miss out on a lot of that and will miss out on a lot of that of what you did and bringing that to the forefront. Yeah. Well, now um, the landscape has changed so much because, no, you're not buying – uh, the magazine on the newsstand. It's right. called a brand now. You are just going straight to the, the website. Um, and that's just, the, you have to adapt to that. That's just the way it is. I've seen now they're releasing, they're releasing a cover, but they're also doing, the, they're also doing a website cover. So it's a whole different person. I mean, it's actually to me, it's very exciting because you can do a lot with that. You can do a lot of people at the same time. But the idea of, unveiling a, a new cover every month was so exciting and so great and so much fun to watch the numbers come in, especially with, like, the Caitlyn Jenner. We just watched the numbers go up, 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 um, because we really sit on that. So you have to adapt. You have to go okay. with it. That's what it is. That's what you have to do. My, my new idea is that they should release a video cover. They should release the, the, the video version of the cover instead of the cover. I'm trying to figure out how to do that. I think do you mean sort of like the making of? Yeah. Sort of what that goes into behind picture. the scenes? Yeah. Release that. Which really fast. Everyone out there wants to know, like, how did that come to be? How did you figure out where her arm should be and where her leg should be? And, like, how, how do you make that work, that magic work? Yeah. I mean, now it used to be unheard of that you would allow a behind-the-scenes camera mm -hmm. while you were shooting. Now you don't do a cover without it. Really? Very interesting. And for me, that was the fun part of a shoot, was the actual production of it all, mm -hmm. how it came about. How did this person get to that cover? 
So of all that you've done, as we said in the past four years, now all, I don't even know how to, like, how to explain that, You've what you've created, which we've just said, including not just the covers and not just the connection to Hollywood and not just showing a celebrity's face, but the story and the journey and the impact that you've had with these stories, that there was a story behind the story and it had an impact on people. But, and I'm sure you, this is an impossible thing to do to even pinpoint it down to a few, but are there a few that actually stand out or the most memorable or the most meaningful to you in all that you've done? Um, yeah, well, for instance, when I when I worked for um, Andy Warhol at Interview Magazine, he sort of really invented the whole celebrity interview where you take the big picture of the person, you put that person on the cover, you do Q&A. That was sort of like the interview formula. Um, then it translated to all the other magazines because they were doing, you know, fashion models, whatever. And then they realized, oh, it's a good idea to put a celebrity on the cover, right? Because people were the only one doing it. So, so, so I just decided that that was the way to go. It was a huge industry. Let's do it. Every time I did someone on the cover of Vanity Fair, Hollywood used that as a casting couch. They would say, oh, you've been on the cover of Vanity Fair. You can, you can handle a movie. As the movie would come out, we discovered many stars. I mean, we put Leonardo DiCaprio on the cover um, when Titanic was coming out. He was a young kid. He wasn't a star yet. That launched him. Um, when we did our Hollywood cover, Unless they were huge stars, Hollywood would use that cover, 15 or 14 people on the cover. Oh, any fair cover. You can be on this movie. You can be in this television show. You can be, you know, in the series. It really was used as a tool in Hollywood, and we, we created that. So this connection was really strong, very, very strong. Um, so there are so many ways that the magazine influenced people, um, Hollywood, Washington, Europe, um, sports, every, it was the most, it's the most interesting place because there were so many different people you could do. Nothing was off limits. No one was off limits. No, we just, we did Anderson Cooper on the cover. You know, it was, he had a he had his autobiography coming out. It was a fascinating autobiography. Photographed Anderson Cooper. He's an amazing person. Um, you could do these things. My one of my most proudest moments was that since I got to Vanity Fair, I thought the most important musician in the world was Bruce Springsteen. I thought for you know since I was a teen, thirteen, twelve year old, I knew about Bruce Springsteen. I thought, why is Bruce Springsteen not on the cover of Vanity Fair? He always did Rolling Stone. He had a, a record come out, he would do Rolling Stone. He had a thing come out, he would do Rolling Stone. He had a tour come, he would do Rolling Stone. He's on the cover of Rolling Stone, I don't know how many times. Never did Vanity Fair. And I, for 30 years, tried to get Bruce Springsteen on the cover of Vanity Fair. I did everything. Marilyn Lowry, his publicist, and I, I mean, she'd laugh at me. Jane, Bruce doesn't want to do Vanity Fair. He doesn't want to talk about himself. You know Bruce. He's not going to do that. Marilyn, come on. <laughs> year after year, 80s, 90s, now it's 2000. I find out 
Bruce Springsteen is writing his autograph. I'm thinking, this is the moment. <laughs> so, oh, Marilyn Laverty, Marilyn, Bruce's book. She said, I know, I was thinking about you. I said, what? She said, I think it's time. I almost think. <laughs> 30 years, think about it, trying to get someone on the cover, and finally, they agree. And I thought, this is my crowning moment. This is it. I've done, I've done the Demi Moore pregnant. I've done Angelina Jolie. I've done Jennifer Aniston when she broke up with Brad Pitt. I did Brad Pitt. <laughs> I did, I mean, we did Angelina Jolie, I don't know how many times. I revealed Surrey Cruz. I did Caitlyn Jenner's first picture as a woman. And, but I'm actually getting Grispoochie. I ran down to Graydon Carter's office and I, and I he was looking at me like, I'm nuts. <laughs> I said, this is really amazing. I'm so happy about this. So then, you know, you shoot Bruce Springsteen for the color of Annie Fair. You think you're going to do it in New Jersey. You know, you're, it's a, he's Mr. New Jersey. You've got to go to New Jersey. you got to do Springsteen. you got to do him backstage. Now, Annie Leibovitz has photographed Bruce Springsteen many times. She did his album, famous album covers. She knows Bruce. But we were like, okay, look, this cover has to be about this book. And she wanted to photograph him in his home where he grew up, you know, the big tree that's actually not there anymore. Everybody knows that they read the book, the tree's gone. But Annie wanted to take him back to where the church was, where he grew up, and all this. No, this is how the magazine world works. You're on a deadline. Sorry, you can parrot. On tour, you have to go to Paris. I'm like, no problem. <laughs> oh, you have to go. You have Sorry. to go to Paris. Oh, really? That's such a shame. Okay. So we go to Paris. We go to the show in Paris. We go backstage in Paris. And Annie and I are like kids in, you know, a candy store. We're backstage. There's no rules. You can photograph him anywhere you want. Or once you're in the backstage of Bruce Springsteen, you're just in the family. You can go in the room. You're hanging out. You're sitting on the speaker, watching him sing, and it's all in the story. And Annie's shooting him, and I'm photo I'm taking my little phone out. I'm photographing Annie shooting Bruce, and during the shows, and then you know it's time to go home. And they're like, "You mean you're not staying for the rest of the tour?" And I'm like. Okay, so I cancel my plans. I stay, and I just stay on the tour, and it was really, for me, one of the greatest, greatest adventures I've had, um, besides the birth of my children. It was really <laughs> amazing, because this is one of my, the, the greatest part about it was becoming friends with John Landau, who discovered Bruce Springsteen, who said, I've seen the future of rock and roll, and his name is Bruce Springsteen, you know. 60, what, 50 years ago in Boston. And that was, for me, you know, meeting John and hanging out with John and Barbara Carr, his manager, was, for me, like, so important in my life. And it meant a lot to me because I grew up with two brothers that I was Bruce Springsteen, so that was it. So then the cup, so then Annie, of course, well, she can't just shoot Bruce Springsteen in Paris. We have to find an old run-down typewriter factory in the outskirts of Paris where, I mean, you would never go to. So we go to this old factory, and, of course, his 
beautiful motorcycles there, and we photographed Bruce with the American flag and the motorcycle, and Patty's there, and I'm like, this, I'm pinching myself. This is not happening to me. And I've been doing, I've been with stars for now 40 years. I'm not starstruck until that moment. <laughs> starstruck. And, you know, I've been doing this a long time. And I'm happy to say I was starstruck. I mean, isn't that great? be able to say that after all this time with every movie star in Hollywood, every single one of them. So that to me was a great moment. Um, and, um, you know, I think that was a good time to leave the magazine. Well, and also to show that for 30 years, I think it shows something for everybody out there. There's not instant gratification in life. And for kids out there, like if there's some things that you know you want and you keep working and you keep working, keep working, right? You never know what's going to happen. But I think, like you said, the time to leave was also like that white whale. Like you, you went out and you, you did it. You pursued and you persisted and you achieved. And, and the pinnacle of it all was even what you're saying. Like other celebrities, it was amazing to meet them. And, but just meeting him and realizing that what you'd strived for for 30 years was worth every minute of everything that you did. And then it was time to go. And that leads us now to the, uh, your next step in life. So now you've done that. As we said, you've created something that to all of us is art. It's something that got us through the past 30 years. It was something we anticipated, we appreciated, we valued. And now what's next? So it's an interesting time for me. Um, I'm, I'm big on um, trying to adapt to the situation. So now I'm in my, another phase. Um, I'm very proud of having had all this time at one magazine. I mean, it's very rare to spend this much time at one job. I can't even call it a job. I mean, this was like the greatest thing I've ever done. This is just amazing to me to have to 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 be involved with all these amazing people and this great team of people that I worked with. And I I re I only regret that I that how much I miss all of them because we had such a great collaboration. I really do miss that. I'm very proud of the fact that I have launched a fantastic family. I have two amazing children. Um, I put a lot of energy into raising my family, which was not easy to do with a full-time job. I lived um, pretty far away from the city, and I commuted, and I, I felt that it was very difficult to do both well. Um, I feel like you can't really have it all. I feel that this is a myth. Um, I feel that when you're with your family, you have to be with your family, and you get your job, you have to be with your job. And Graydon Carter said a great thing to me one time, which I feel has resonated, which is the greatest gift in life is one in which your life is lit. The greatest way to live a life, sorry, is that you can't wait to go to work, and you can't wait to come home. And I feel that I live that. And that is the greatest gift you can have. I mean, my children, um, you know, I, I was the working mom. It was very hard for me to be the working mom in a in an area where I lived where most of the mothers actually didn't work. Mm -hmm. And um, that was a tough thing for me. I don't feel that, you know, this was pre-internet era, let's just say. The kids would go to sleep, and the fax machine would start going. You know what I mean? Like, that's when we started working. When the kids were asleep, you could really work. And that's what I had to do. 
kids were asleep, you worked. When they were awake, you were the kids. And I find that to be something that we overlook. Um, all of those mothers out there that are trying to do both, you cannot do both. You can do, you can have a family and you can have a job. Absolutely. But stop putting so much pressure on yourself. I did, I put a lot of pressure on myself. But I had a lot of good help and I had a great husband. And my kids, I think, appreciated that I worked. But it's very tough when they're around people whose parents don't, mothers don't work. They want their mother, right? Very, very hard. But they, they come out of it better, I think. So don't put so much pressure on yourself, you mothers out there. <laughs> like, you want to work? Work. Your kids will be fine. But don't think you can do both so well. you got to give and take. Like, sometimes you're a great mother, and you're not a great mother. Sometimes you're great at your job, and other times you're not great at your job because you have so much tugging on you. Very hard for women. Um, but you can do it. It's just like you can't have it all. You can do it, but you have to make sure you have a balance of not making yourself crazy. And don't you think it's almost, it's healthy for kids to see that you can't, it's, it's okay things aren't perfect. It's okay. It, it, as you said, adapt. Right, so it's it's all right that maybe you had Cheerios for dinner again tonight, but the important things get done, and the things that aren't as important are sort of what teaches you to adapt and understand that things don't always run perfectly, and that doesn't destroy everything. It's okay. Well, it's hard because I mean I worked with a lot of people that had families, and all of us were it's the village. I mean, you have to have great help, you have to have great support, and a lot of people don't, and that's really hard. Um, so I'm very lucky to say that I had a lot of support and a lot of help. Um, that, But in the back of my mind, if I wasn't with my kids, I was always worried about them. And if I wasn't at my job, I was always worried about my job. So right now, that stress level sort of gone. <laughs> like I, I'm still worried about my kids, <laughs> which, is not, which is okay. I, I am. You know, you always worry about right. your kids. Um, but I'm ha- feeling like I have more time to sort of think of the things that I've accomplished and what can I do now? What can I do next? And I'm not there yet, but I'm working on it. We all know what you've accomplished and your family knows what you've accomplished, not just at Vanity Fair, but your family clearly itself is an amazing family. Um, And we are so appreciative for everything that you've done, but we're also looking forward to what's next. I don't think that dictates that amazing things are not yet to come. Because clearly you do, you creative and you get the story out and you make people understand what's going on and you make them appreciate what's going on. So I know there are many things yet to come and I don't think you have to know right away. And I think that's the message to all Morph Moms out there, anybody out there. It doesn't have to come immediately, but you get there and, and you learn from what you've done and you've learned from your mistakes and you learn from the good things that you've done and you build on them. So one last question to you before, which I don't want to end tonight because we could go on forever, but for moms out there, and, and you're in that situation where we're talking about this, like, what's next? So, as you sit here tonight, you think, like, tomorrow, the day after, like, what's going to, what are you sort of looking towards to figure out what's next? What, inwardly, like, are you thinking, like, so when I'm going to take that next step, how am I going to do it? Well, I have always been a very collaborative person. So for me, just me, personally, I'm not good on my own. I don't want to do anything, just me. I need a group of really smart people around me. Um, and I think that I will probably 
um, look to collaborate with other great women. Um, well, there could be men. I'm not saying it can't be men, but um, I have a great a great network of women, and we're all always looking for the next thing to do. And I think that we will find it. And I think that what I'm learning is it's not going to happen overnight. You have to take some time for yourself to um, relax and enjoy life. I never had a moment. You know, I never took a moment. I've been working since I'm 20 years old. I have never not had a place to go every single day. That is a huge thing I've had to adapt to. And um, that's not easy. Um, that creates stress, anxiety, depression, um, and you need to take a break to, and everyone's saying that to me, you need to take a break to figure that out and, 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 and give yourself some time. This, these are words that, of advice that I'm not adhering to. I'm not good at this. I need the next thing to happen tomorrow. So I'm not, I'm being very honest, I'm not there yet, but I'm trying, you know. And it doesn't hurt that it's summer and that you can take a little break in the summer. Um, but I am not the type that's just going to consider it home. You know, I'm just not going to do it. So I'm looking for that next thing. And it will be with a, a good group of people. It will not be in a vacuum. I will not be alone. Um, I love to collaborate. So, well, I can't believe it's we're done. I want to stay here and talk to you all night long. I can't thank you enough for coming on tonight and sharing the past and the present and the future. And what you've done, as I said repeatedly over tonight's interview, is what it was art that you created. It wasn't just a magazine cover. It wasn't just something that was. It was something that we anticipated, we craved, we honored, we cherished, and we learned from. I think that's the biggest thing, too. It's completely educational every time something came out because you were learning something new. You were breaking rules. You were showing things that people were afraid to do otherwise, and we'll never forget that, ever. But at the same time, what you've done, again, is the art that we cherish, but we also can't wait to see what you do in the future because clearly nothing can stop you. And I think that's a lesson everybody out there tonight. Like, nothing can stop you. And I think one of the things you said tonight was one of your first steps was acknowledging that you like to do it with others. You don't want to go at it alone. You know you want a group. That's a huge first step. And from there, who knows what could happen. So, Jane Sarkin, I cannot thank you enough for tonight, for everything you've done for us. For And I will admit I'm a huge Bruce fan for that as well. And to my daughter, Sarah, who's the biggest Bruce fan of all, you made her life with that. Um, thank you, thank you, thank you. And for everyone joining us tonight, thank you for listening. This will be up on an iTunes podcast tomorrow because I know you're going to want to listen to it again. Um, and I'll see you next week. Good night, everyone. Thank you.